welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of April 12, 2015. Hot news, hot news. This past Thursday, there was a major fire at the Kentucky School for the Blind. A large tree fell on the former RFB&D building located on the Haldeman Avenue side of the campus toward Brownsboro Road. The tree brought down some electrical wires which in turn started a fire in the structure. One end of the building was completely destroyed and major damage was done to the rest of the building. This building has been used for storage since the recording for the blind vacated it several years ago. The students were on spring break. No one was injured in the fire, and it is probable that the building will now be torn down. No other information is available at this time. Did you know that you can listen to the ACB Braille Forum and ACB eForum by phone? A new magazine every month. It's just as close as your telephone. Call 231-460-1061 and start listening. We remind you that this is not a toll-free number. Judy Wilkinson and her husband Steve Mendelson just returned from a fabulous trip of over a month in length to Australia and New Zealand. Stay with us on pages 2 and 3 as Judy paints fabulous word pictures of highlights of her trip. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. With me on the phone is Judy Wilkinson. Some of you will remember that we interviewed Judy on Sound Prince here last summer, shortly after she was elected to the ACB Board of Publications. Judy is also active in the California Council of the Blind and the Library Users of America, but that's not the reason she's with us today. She has just returned from a very interesting trip, and Judy, we would sure like for you to give us a glimpse into that trip and and all of the some of the things that happened on the trip, so um, I'll leave it to you to decide where you would like to begin. Well, thank you, Carla. I'm delighted to be back with, with all of our listeners. And I'll begin by saying kiora. And kiora is the Maori word for hello, goodbye. It's sort of like the Hawaiian word, uh, what's the one that, it, you know? Aloha. Uh, aloha. It's like that. But mm-hmm. kiora comes from the Maori, and the Maori are the first peoples of New Zealand. Ah. And Steve and I just came back from a, about a five-week trip. We spent four days in Sydney, Australia, so that I could go to the opera, and uh-huh. I'll say a little bit about that. Okay. And then we went on to New Zealand for almost a month. New Zealand is a wonderful little country with a big heart. It has about four and a half million people, and for people who don't know, New Zealand is two sort of long, narrow islands. One is called the North Island, and one is called the South Island. They always joke about the big New Zealand island to the west, which some of us called Australia, but which <laughs> New Zealanders called the West Island of New Zealand. <laughs> okay. And there's a, 
there's a very strong relationship between those two island nations. But New Zealand kind of reminds me of the, and they love this too, the kind of the myth of the pioneer and the go get them spirit and the we can do things and we can fix things and we can make things work. And those four and a half million people have done an amazing amount uh, of work in the in the centuries they've been there. The Maori people settled New Zealand around 1200, and uh, they uh, did amazing things and fished and and took advantage of the natural amazing climate and uh, and the weather until about 1840 when the first European settled settlers arrived. Um, and then, you know, there's, there were some challenges. Maybe, no, I think New Zealand had settlers. Cook was there in, I think, 1769. So there were some white settlers around from the late 18th century. But the big influx came in, in 1840. Okay. Anyway. Now, where did these, the original people, where did they come from? They came from, they're part of the Polynesian peoples. So it's it's said that most Polynesian peoples can understand each other, Hawaiians, Samoans, uh, the other South Island, South Sea Pacific peoples, mm-hmm. uh, all of them who share this language, you know, that have about 12 consonants and lots of vowels and stuff, they can really pretty well understand each other. Mm-hmm. There's actually some thinking that maybe people originally came from somewhere in Japan. Mm-hmm. They're not quite sure but they're sort of part of the Polynesian peoples. And if I've misrepresented anything or offended anybody, I really have done that out of total ignorance and not (laughs) out of any intention. Mm -hmm. That is Um, fascinating. It is. And we, Steve wanted to go, this is my husband Steve, wanted to go to New Zealand because he always said he wanted to go to the place furthest south in the world that purported to speak the same language that he did. And he wanted to hear people talking and meet people. And and so he has had it in his heart to go to New Zealand for several years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm, okay, if Steve wants to do this, we'll get around to this one of these days. <laughs> but um, we finally, last summer was the time we started thinking about this. And I've got to say that there are some travel issues for blind people that have changed and some that haven't. It's still quite a challenge, frankly, to travel as a blind person and get as much out of the trip as you can. And and I won't say it was easy, but it was certainly fascinating. And you know, it's true, Carly, you probably know this too, and most people do. The things you think are going to be interesting when you're traveling are often not as interesting as just what happens by accident or just, you know, the unusual thing pops up. And I'll give a couple of examples of that uh, in a few minutes. But we asked a friend to travel with us, and pretty early on we decided that rather than traveling by train and bus, which was our original intention so that we could meet people and stuff, uh, too many places, particularly on the South Island, only had one bus a day, and there was very little train service on the South Island. So very quickly, we hoped we could find a traveling companion who could drive. And we did wind up asking a friend. She's from the U.K. She now lives in Wales. And so she's definitely was used to driving on two-lane roads and on the side of the street. The, in New Zealand, they drive on the right side, as they do in the U.K., uh, and um, so she was perfectly happy driving under the conditions in New Zealand, and we wound up 
driving about 2,500 miles when you told it all up over the months that we were in New Zealand. Yeah. We split our time between the South Island and the North Island. The South Island is much more rural, uh, much smaller um, places, cities. Um, The bulk of the population lives on the North Island. And in fact, of the 4.5 million New Zealanders, Fully a quarter live in the greater Auckland area, and that is the largest city in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. The, the capital of New Zealand is the southernmost city on the North Island, Wellington, and that reminded me a great deal of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It has a beautiful harbor, lots of steep hills, and it's a sort of a smarly, fairly small, compact area. So Wellington reminded me a lot of San Francisco, which is basically where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wound up our trip with several days in Auckland. And um, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. One of the most wonderful things that happened on this trip was that we met what Steve jokingly calls the A-list of blind people in New Zealand, <laughs> members of the Associated Blind Citizens of New Zealand. We met at their president's house. His name is Clive Lansing, and his partner is um, Mary Schnackenberg, who used to head the library services in New Zealand, uh, consumer relations, kind of like what Judy Dixon does for us now. She no longer does that. She and Clive have a computer business that they operate, but they are, you know, well-connected in the blindness community. Because I had skied with Mary and Clive a few years ago and knew them through Judy, we arranged to have a meeting at their house, and they invited 10 uh, uh, other blind people. So there were 14 of us all, and we learned about the Associated Blind Citizens of New Zealand and some fascinating things about you know, what they're doing for fundraising, for instance, how they represent. They remind me very much of the American Council. They're like that in terms of their attitudes toward blind people and their attitudes toward democracy of blind people and the way they conduct business. And so it was just, it's always wonderful to meet blind folks. And that was just a pure sort of bonus, something we hadn't realized we were going to be doing when we first started this trip. But to have met those people and to have enjoyed a meal with them and spent an evening, afternoon and an evening, was something, you know, made the trip worth the price, even Mm -hmm. if we had done nothing else. Mm-hmm. We also met the CEO of that of the Blind Citizens Organization. They're headquartered in Wellington. It's really interesting. I don't want to get too far into this, but the you know most in New Zealand, most people receive all services through the agency uh, that that give, provide services. You know, paid by the government, mm-hmm. and they are headquartered in, in Wellington. But you get your education services, your your rehabilitation services, your computer services, everything through through the agency and people. They have uh, offices throughout the country, but it's a central agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's central, not different agencies in, say, different right, counties it's not or like whatever you one states. Place for your like rehab there and another place maybe for your education, employment services. They're all sort of run centrally. And that, as we all can imagine, has its advantages and its disadvantages. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that the uh, it's sort of like the agency knows that it needs its consumers so part of the funding for the New Zealand blind citizens is 
comes actually through this main agency. And, in fact, they share quarters in Wellington. Oh. And we met the C- the CEO of, of the organization. She's, of course, serves... Um, at the at the you know the request of the board, I mean they're her boss basically. Mm-hmm. We uh, the, she, the board of the agency, have, the board yes, of the agency, they, or, or I'm sorry, yes, the no the board of the foundation. Of oh, the okay, okay. So so her her partner happens to to teach computer stuff at the agency, and she's next door as head of the uh, as head of the opposition <laughs> almost, if you will. Um, <laughs> And they don't take their work home, they say, because, you know, she has her job, which is just a, basically to promote advocacy of the organized blind people, and mm-hmm. they kind of have to watchdog the agency. Now, again, if I've gotten the politics wrong here <laughs> and, you know, people start quoting me like Judy says, like, okay, uh, again, I'm sort of maybe oversimplifying in my nattering along here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we met them because she has relatives in uh, in the states, and they happened to be at the San Francisco Lighthouse visiting when Brian Bashan, who's the uh, CEO of the Lighthouse, happened to mention that Steve and I were going. So this is a wonderful way you network and oh, meet yeah. people. Yeah. And because we were put in touch with them, now we had some nice blind folks to visit in Wellington as well as Auckland. So that was just such a wonderful part of our trip. Um, we did a we did a lot of uh, traveling with our friend, and we couldn't have done as much without her help, frankly. She described things. She was able to read us stuff at museums. Accessibility to places like museum is not all we could, could have wished, even though we called ahead to some places to see what, you know, what kind of services do you offer. Um, and, you know, that's still a challenge because, frankly, there aren't that many blind people who visit in New Zealand that they don't see many blind folks coming through the museum doors. So, uh, you know, we were sort of a surprise at some places. <laughs> what kind of museums did you visit? Well, we went to we went to three interesting museums. One was the Antarctic Museum in Christchurch. And Christchurch is very interesting because it suffered two major earthquakes in the last few years and they're rebuilding the city. And as a San Franciscan, I really wanted to see what a city, how the city was doing, mm-hmm. how they were recovering mm-hmm. from these massively severe earthquakes oh, yeah. um, from 2011 and 2012. Mm-hmm. And the city is, is, is still rebuilding. It's very, uh, it's, it's heartening to see how, how much rebuilding is going on. But the, one of the most famous Antarctic museums is there. And uh, we had a bit of trouble there because things, the audio tour wasn't what we had told it was going to, we were going to be. In other words, you could only turn on the audio if you could see the little symbol on the wall that told you the audio was there. Oh, wow. And then it wasn't like a keypad on the on the phone. You had to up and down arrows, so you had to know where your starting number was. So it wasn't particularly accessible. But they were very nice. They did refund our money. They apologized to us. And, you know, we wrote them a, a lengthy letter make, making some suggestions. And, you know, they wrote back and said, you know, yes, they would they would take our, you know, um, 
our suggestions, and we told the people, you know, the blind folks we met. Sure. And they said, well, that's good. Don't, don't, don't hold your breath, but it's really good you wrote. What, so what they're kind aware of, things, of these challenges, too. What kind of things did they um, highlight in the Antarctic Museum? You know, I would think of maybe... Well, for instance, there was a replica of uh, Scott's uh, cabin in, oh. in the Antarctic, you know, where he oh. was stranded. Mm-hmm. There was there were there was footage from Admiral Byrd's uh, exploration of Antarctica in the 1930s, mm-hmm. and and it's a working part of it is that is the jumping off place for the working crews from Italy and America and New Zealand who actually work in the Antarctic you know during during the season uh, right now they head out they have practice a lot of stuff at the at, at the facility near the Antarctic Museum. So it's a major working uh, facility as well as a museum. Yeah. We also went to um, a wonderful museum in um, in Wellington called the Te Papa Museum, which is a lot of the Maori culture is represented there. That was wonderful because, ironically, what Steve and I did was we sat with our, with our uh, list of they were nice enough to tell us the list of the numbers, like number 102 gives you the introduction and number 104, you know, tells you a little mm-hmm. more about the culture. And we just, we sent our friend off to see an exhibit she wanted to see very much. And we just sat and punched in numbers on our <laughs> phone. Now, now, I don't, that may not be the politically correct way to go to a museum, but you know what? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I just listened to all kinds of recordings and and history, and uh, and that was that was just fine with me, to sit on my bench with my little my ear my audio tour of the museum, and, and so they they did a very good job of setting up that museum. Mm-hmm. We also went to a place called Zealandia near Wellington, which is an outdoor garden, has all kinds of gardens and birds, and and we and this was one of those serendipitous things there. A young man came up and very politely told us we could probably hear the bird calls better from a, an exhibit out, out in the actual garden area. And then he came back a few minutes later and he said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm a docent here and I have about 20 minutes. And if you'd like me to, I'd be glad to take you out into the gardens and, and show you some things. And so an hour and a half later, he was still with us. <laughs> And he show, you know, we got to see leaves and flax, and he showed us little insects that had just left their their little shells, like little sort of little snaily things. And we got to touch a taratua. I think that's, you know, my my words are I'm losing them, but that's one of the older. Um, um, what category are snakes in? You know, the reptiles. Yes, reptiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the old reptiles, and we got to touch one. They brought her out of her cage and let us touch her, and we got to touch a, 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 a um, kiwi chick that was, you know, had died, but they had preserved her so we could touch the beautiful fur on the on the kiwi bird and the, oh fe- and the feathers. Yeah. And so he allowed us. I mean, we never knew we were going to meet him. We hadn't arranged ahead of time. We just walked in like any other tourist, and we were going to say, well, what do you have? Because we hadn't called them ahead of time because we hadn't known we were going to do this until we actually got to Wellington. Mm-hmm. But that was just one of those things where we had such a wonderful experience meeting this young man, 
and talking with him, and turns out he was an English major, so he and I had a lot to talk about, and he'd written <laughs> yep. a book, and we bought his novel from a bookstore, and we feel we've made a new friend in New Zealand, having just serendipitously met this young man, and that was the kind of thing I meant where the things you're not so sure are going to work out turn out to be the magical moments and, and the memories. Steve and I made a lot of recordings, and frankly, it was just with my Victor Stream, and I'm not particularly, I'm not like you, Carla and Adam, and your skills here. I just, you know, turned on my machine, and what I found out when I got home was I talked too much. You know, I kept wanting to say, would that lady just shut up and let the <laughs> other people talk? But, of course, I had to talk to get them to talk sometimes. But Correct. sometimes it's like, enough of me. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Carla. I'm not letting you get a word in anywhere here. You're you the star to... here. You go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, once you sort of wind me up, mm -hmm. it's as I, I think I said the same kind of thing on my when I talked with you when I just joined the board. It's like you know, wind me up and turn me on, and <laughs> you know, you could go cook dinner. Um, <laughs> Well, th this is fascinating, and especially, um, you know, this this last uh, museum that you've talked about, and, and just the um, just just being able to walk in and have someone take the interest and and want to show you all of these things. I think that that is um, well, that to me is is just um, a real good example of how things don't always have to be just planned right down to the minute. And sometimes you can't plan them. I mean, right. the thing is, I'm sorry, even calling ahead, when you say I'm visually impaired, I'll be visiting your museum, it's very sometimes hard for them to understand this or what you might need or what you might want, and they might say, yes, we have things. And sometimes when you show up, you're going to find that you, you aren't going to get help. But sometimes, for instance, when we went to the earlier museum in Wellington, the lady was a little startled when I just said, could you just read me down? I just turned on my little stream. Could you just read me down the list of numbers so that I'll know what buttons to push on the audio? Well, it never had occurred to them that they you know, might want a Braille list or something, but she was very generous and kind and understood right away that this is what would help us. Mm -hmm. but, I, and I had, but I had called the museum ahead of time. Right. And, you know, it was just, you know, you ha I think you have to understand that the things happen the way they happen and the, the the important thing is to make the trip the best you can make it with as much planning as you can mm -hmm. but know that the real art of traveling is to to see what adventure today is going to bring and to not say well shoot i missed out on that or i couldn't get as much out of it as a sighted person could but to say my gosh i talked to a bus driver and heard about his family and, you know, or I, or I talked to the lady in the soap shop, and she told me how the soap was made and how much of it they make. And, you know, Ooh, that could be really interesting. Clients. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's, I think, where we really have learned that mm -hmm. traveling is about meeting people and just finding where the adventures lead you. And yes. I'm not pretending it's easy for blind people. I don't think it still is. I wish I could tell you that I got out my four square and turned on my app and just did all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and you know what? I tried it a couple of times and, and got pretty discouraged. But, and that doesn't mean I won't do that in the future or that people shouldn't. But I'm just trying to say there's all kinds of ways to skin that cat. 
mm-hmm. and to and to travel today, just as there always has been. You well, know, and part no of, two people are going to do it the same way. Yes, and part of it um, too, with you having taken along a person who could drive. Um, you know, you have to think about okay, I'm going on this trip, and yes, I could take. I could take my app, and I could probably do all of these things. But you would, first of all, I don't think you would get as many things done because you either would not be able to get there because of lack of transportation or or transportation that didn't arrive in places at the right time or whatever. And then the other thing is it just is slower to get there um, when you can't just go out and hop in the car and go. And, I mean, that that's... That is the way. That's the reality. That's the reality of it. And so, you know, if if, if you look at, okay, I want to get the most I can out of this trip. Um, I'm not going to have this opportunity again. I want to pack as much as I can into the time I have. Then you have to look at how will this work best for me. So exactly. um, I think that's a good thing. Judy, if you can hold on just a minute, let's um, let's plan in a break right here. This is Sound Prince, the end of page two, and we'll be back with Judy Wilkinson in just a minute. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon, http colon slash slash l-o-u-i-s dot a-p-h dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839 or visit www.aph.org. This is page three and we're still talking with Judy Wilkinson and she is is telling us about so many different aspects of this trip. Um, I am sure that we could probably actually have two or three sound prints out of all the details of this fabulous trip. Judy, um, tell us what your most favorite thing was while you were in New Zealand. What did you enjoy the most? Well, this is sort of one of those good news, bad news. We, we were in a town called Rotorua, which is fairly far up on uh, the North Island. It's on the ocean, near the ocean, or it's near some lakes. And it's where a lot of the Maori culture is, and it's the center of the geothermal activity in New Zealand. There is a lot of volcanic and, and earthquake, as I mentioned earlier, the earthquake in Christchurch, but there's a lot of volcanic action uh, in New Zealand. And um, Rotorua is in the center of that. So as you arrive in Rotorua, you know because you smell rotten eggs from a fair distance away. Mm. And All the uh, sulfur. Yeah. We happened to stay on a beautiful lake where we... Um, the house we were staying in was, you know, not too near the city, so we weren't bothered by that smell. And, you know, it's like anything else. We got very used to it very quickly. Mm-hmm. In Rotorua, we did, we did something that 
was very touristy. We went to what's called a, a traditional hangai, which is a traditional Maori ceremony and celebration. And this is one of those things where the actual event itself was a little disappointing for blind people because there was a lot of dancing and singing, but a lot of the other things that happened in relationship to it were so wonderful that it made that part of the journey. I'm not, I don't know that I can say it, it's my favorite, but it stands out. So let me just tell you about this evening activity where you're, you're greeted, you go to a sort of a center and you're greeted by traditional Māori greeting and people sing and dance and, and, be, and, and welcome you into their home and they have a ceremony where they hand you something and you hand it back to show a stick or I forget what it was, but to show that you are invited into their home. And then there was sort of a dancing and singing show that we didn't get a lot out of, but it was still interesting to listen to, and I have some recordings that I made. Then there was a meal, very traditional. They cook things for this feast. They cook traditionally. They cook in a big canvas box in the ground under a bunch of rocks that have been heated and the the food cooks for you know, s- several hours and so they un- take things out of the box and so there's a lot of stewed kind of lamb and fish and 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 a lot of there's roots and and potatoes and there's another vegetable that I'm not remembering that I thought I wouldn't forget the name of, but a pumpkin-like hmm. vegetable. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the being very astute business people, they had a lot of other things to have, too, like uh, salads and, and things that vegetarian people could have. And so there was a really nice variety. Then we went down to a geyser that was erupting just as we got there. And I was able to stand on a bridge and my face hanging over the side of the bridge and feeling the steam puffing up in oh little puffs from this geyser. Oof, and I could be... hear it. I couldn't at first tell the difference between what I thought was a sort of a waterfall sound mm-hmm. and then the sound of this geyser just sort of pumping up steam out of the ground. How awesome. And so, I mean, and I kept running back and forth across this lookout bridge because on one side I could I could really feel the steam rising, and on the other side I could hear better, and so <laughs> I was having a wonderful time. And then we went and sat up on some hot rocks, and the ground was so warm because of the activity underneath oh. that it was, um, I mean, literally, you couldn't sit for too long because oh you had to stand up because those rocks got mighty warm. <laughs> and so that was a, a part of the experience, again, People might not have thought just going to 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 hear to see this geyser or hear it and and sitting on these rocks that for me made the evening wonderful. Also, our guide told wonderful stories there, and 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 there were they, he sang to the honeymoon couples, and and you know that was just wonderful. And the next day, because our pass was a twenty-four hour pass, and this is what I was sort of leading up to, I was able to take a tour of the carving school where the Māori are training their young people to to do the traditional carvings. And so I was able to touch a lot of the carvings. They welcomed me into the school. Once we approached one of the teachers, he 
let me come through the gate and touch carvings on the wall and oh. and allowed me to see what students were working on yeah. and the same in the weaving school i just went in you know they didn't know we were coming and i was very respectful and i said you know if i could please touch anything that they would allow me to touch and i'd be and i and i didn't want to be disrespectful to any ceremony and oh no we're delighted to have you I was able to touch a feather cape like they would make for a chief. Oh, wow. I was able to touch uh, a costume that they had made for M- Miss New Zealand, and I didn't mm. think to ask what year mm. m- this Miss New Zealand, and she must have been, you know, a Māori woman that they made this co- beautiful. It had beadwork on it, and I could finally see how the flax, you know, was woven and how the flax, what they strip the flax, and because of the way they strip it, it reveals different colors underneath, so it creates patterns as they lay it out on the skirts. It looks like little sticks, and they're called uh, pew-pew skirts, and these little sticks, sort of, they're, they're like little round rods of the flax, and because they've stripped off this outer cover, underneath pat- colors are revealed, and they they strip it at different points along the flax so you get patterns that are then covering over the under cotton part of the skirt. Mm-hmm. And so when they dance, these little strips flare out and fling about and clack. And, and so I was finally able to see this beautiful costume with the, with the, with the, with the top. And again, if I had you know, not um, just gone back and, and, and sort of walked in here, I wouldn't have seen these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, at first I thought, well, this wasn't sort of worth the money because this show we saw and the, you know, and all that wasn't maybe so visual. But we we made, I mean, it was visual. But we made it our business to find things that made it a wonderful event for us. And then and I, and I think that one point that we need to make here too, and you you said this several times. When you asked if there were things that you could touch or experience, you did it respectfully. Uh, I think that's Absolutely. a big point because sometimes we get frustrated with not being able to um, appreciate something that is very visual. And so we go and say, well, what is it that I can see? And, you know, sometimes that's not going to get you what you would like to see if you had gone in and said, well, I just, you just it's have to show advice. me something. I mean, after yeah. all, you have to do something comparable. Uh-uh. That yeah. just yeah. wasn't appropriate. But to get to, to look, to touch the carvings and the weavings and so on, I think, I just, I just can't, I would have loved to have been able to do that kind of thing because, um, you know, I think anyone who's interested in crafts and, and handmade kinds of things, um, that 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 would have just been an outstanding tour. And I, you know, I will say, people were. Uh, we didn't run into, you know, we ran into curiosity, mm-hmm. but we ran into nothing but goodwill. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a little puzzlement. Mm-hmm. One day, a friend and I, my friend Marg and I, were out hiking, and we missed the last ferry. It was we were on the <laughs> Queen Charlotte's track. And I was just slow. We just did not get back in time for the last ferry. Oh we met a young couple on the trail who ran in who ran in ahead of us and said, there's two women still out on the trail. And they started this, you know, we met the truck which had been sent out to find us mm-hmm. uh, literally as we were trudging into camp. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll make a long story short. 
we did get a ferry to come back and get us. We did have to pay extra money, but we were glad to do it in order to get back into Picton that night. Yes. Um, but we went to thank the the people. They actually waited the ferry a half an hour for us. Oh, my. And we went to thank them for doing that. And they said, you know, we would never have left you. She, and they said, we weren't worried because you were blind. We just felt there were two people out there who might be struggling to make it in. Mm -hmm. So they were not, you know, they did not throw it in my face. Well, naturally, we assumed you'd be late. And, right. Um, that they wanted me to know that that was not their concern at all. At the beginning of our conversation, you touched on the opera in Sydney, and um, you we you know you said oh we'll come back to that. Um, so uh, tell us tell us about that experience as oh, well. That was that was very interesting because. I had always heard about the Sydney Opera House and what an icon it yes. was. Yeah. But and again, we took a tour, but it didn't mean anything to me until I happened to say to the tour guide, "Do you have any kind of model?" Yeah, I think we do have something. And she found a little model so like, you know, the the Sydney Opera House is famous for looking like shells are all over the outside of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like one shell is nested inside another. And these are different venues inside the Opera House, sort of inside these shell structures. But everybody knows the Sydney Opera House looks like you know, these bunch of shells. Mm -hmm. So I was able to find, and sometimes you find those things in museum shops. You actually say, do you have a model of something? Mm -hmm. And they might have it. But this woman just buried somewhere in their, in the, in their back stage area was a model and she knew about it and and that made all the difference mm -hmm. but we did see a fabulous production of Tosca and Steve and I were able to sit in the second row so I was able to totally hear where not only where the singers were when they moved about on the stage but where the various instruments in the orchestra were situated and our friend we had to sit her quite a ways back <laughs> because otherwise she wouldn't have been able to see the super titles. Uh -huh. So we we made sure she had a, a nice seat, but we were we didn't care about the super titles, so we <laughs> happily sat in the second row in seats that almost nobody would have really wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was an incredible production, and it's, it's a memory I'll always treasure. It's one of my favorite operas. And, um, you know, Steve and Marg basically went to uh, Sydney, for me, so that I could have this wonderful experience, mm -hmm. and we, uh, Sydney was a, we we truly don't have um, you know it's I'm sad that I don't have more experience in Sydney. We went one day to the botanical gardens, and we had a friend come visit us at the house we were renting for an afternoon, and it was but it was good we were there because that's kind of where we got over our jet lag, so that when we went <laughs> on to New Zealand, which really was the purpose of this trip we were ready to sort of hit the ground, you know, running. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was Sydney the only place you visited in Australia? That's the only place we visited in Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, met some wonderful, you know, people there too. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't have as much of a sense. New Zealand is really what, you know, the trip was about. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to tell about one more funny thing that, okay. that, that happened or a couple of things. One of the 
most wonderful things we saw on the way we were driving south was something called Teapot Land. And somebody, it was a teapot collection, and somebody had 1,100 teapots in their garden. They literally, this was somebody's house, and they had just started a collection, and I was able to touch lots and lots of the teapots because they were right on the border or they were right on, sitting on windowsills and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, who would have ever thought? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was fun. And, and then another thing we did was we took a tour of what's called Milford Sound, and we, that's a very traditional place where a lot of cruise ships when you take a, you see a cruise ship that goes, you know, in that area, it always, what cruises on, and so we really, uh, we're looking forward to this, and unfortunately, it rained the morning we went to Milford Sound, or we thought it was unfortunate, until we actually got to the cruise itself, where the, the ship people were very excited, because they said, no, there are only three permanent waterfalls on Milford Sound, but when it rains, there are dozens of waterfalls. Oh. So Marg was able to get pictures of waterfalls, and I was able to experience the spray from a lot of the waterfalls. And just because it had rained, we were able to to not only just sail through the sound and hear the seals and um, and stuff like that and get the commentary, but actually able to stand in the spray of these amazing waterfalls. Hmm. So we literally had... We got soaking wet and loved it. <laughs> and so that was another experience. And, and also we took a transalpine train, and mm-hmm. that train had a wonderful commentary, and we had wonderful earphones for that. And it had open-air carriages where we could stand and experience the wind, and, and we could stand on this outdoor platform while we were dr- going through uh, or actually, they closed the platform during the tunnel. But when we when we were on the eastern side of the mountains, the, it was cold, and I had my jacket on and and my hat. When we got out on the western side, the weather was breezy. Now the weather is balmy oh. and and sunny, and I don't need my jacket. Uh, but we experienced this wonderfully because we could stand on the outdoor plat train car, the yes. platform that just had, you know, rails on the sides and people were taking pictures and we could be outside, hear the train going around curves and and hear the different sound when it went over a bridge. So that was a very interesting experience as well. Yeah, it sounds like it was just a fabulous trip. (laughs) It was. Just packed with something, different things every day. It was. For a whole month, Um, that's amazing. It was a month, and, you know, the last five days were in Auckland, and there I had an, an experience of walking there's an island off the coast that was not there 650 years ago. It's oh. literally a volcanic eruption, and now there's trees and, you know, they're in, there's animal life. New Zealand is very now eager to preserve what it's carelessly destroyed. or what, mm-hmm. You know, like so many island countries, they brought in a lot of pests unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Now they're paying the price of that, like... Mm-hmm rats and mice and dogs and rabbits and mm-hmm. uh, things that aren't native to the environment things aren't native right. and that plays havoc with your natural habitat but anyway mm-hmm. that was one of the, literally on our last full day in Auckland Marg and I went off and, and hiked to the summit on this uh, volcanic island but this time we made not only did we make the last ferry we made the one before the last ferry <laughs> so we we really did a good job with our hike on that last day 
Judy, we're just about out of time, but this has been absolutely (laughs) fascinating, and we have filled two pages of sound prints, but I think our listeners will very much enjoy this. I wish we had more time to hear more experiences because you, you know, at least I feel like I'm almost there when you describe all of these things. So, Well, thank you, Carla, and I appreciate it so much, and I'll say once again, kia The Kentucky Council of the Blind and its chapters provide information, advocacy, activities, and telephone support for people who are blind or visually impaired. Join our email list, visit our website, and of course, listen to Soundprints each and every week. To learn more, call us at 502-895-4598, drop us an email at kcb at igloo.com, or visit our website at kentucky-acb.org. Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar. Unless otherwise indicated, you can join conference calls listed on this calendar by dialing 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. Bluegrass Council of the Blind Activities are held at the BCB office located at 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1230 in Lexington. You need to register for BCB events and activities. Their phone number is 859-259-1834. Demonstrations of assistive technology and some tech training are available each Friday morning at the BCB office. Don't just drop in for tech training. Call ahead to make an appointment. Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Activities are held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. April 17, Friday, begins with the assistive technology and training by appointment at the BCB office. There is no GLCB Friday on April 17. April 19 is the KSB Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line. The KCB Board meets on April 20 at 8 p.m. on the conference line. On April 22, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind invites you to their VIP meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office. This includes lunch, and the program will be presented by Sarah Faulkner on Laughing and Better Health. Be sure to make reservations. On April 23 will be the middle school and high school instrumental concert at the Kentucky School for the Blind from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. in the Ritchie Auditorium. Call the school for more information at 502-897-1583. There are several activities on April 24. The Statewide Rehabilitation Council for the Office for the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting at the McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. Committees begin meeting about 9.30 in the morning, and the entire meeting will conclude between 2 and 3 p.m. For more information, call Jennifer Wright at 502-564-4754. Also on April 24, assistive technology training will be available at the Bluegrass Council office in Lexington. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting, program, election, and dinner on April 24 at the United Crescent Hill Ministries. 
The bargain table will open about 4.30. Dinner of pork chops, mashed potatoes, green beans, and dessert is at 5.30. And there will be lots of information and updates on important topics and elections for GLCB directors after dinner. Plan for return rides between 8 and 8.30 that evening. Cost is $5 per person. Please call in advance to register for dinner. On April 25 is the Cave Hill Cemetery walking tour sponsored by the American Printing House for the Blind Museum. The tour is from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. You'll visit grave sites of many people associated with the history of the Kentucky School for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind, and you'll hear the stories of these important people. Limited transportation from APH is available. The activity is free, but is appropriate for adults and older children. Call the museum at 502-899-2213 for more information and to register. On April 26, KCB Next Generation will hold a brunch from 1.30 to 3 p.m. at the Maker's Mark Bourbon House and Lounge, 446 South 4th Street in Louisville. RSVP as soon as possible. Call or text 502-750-1774 or email alsmoot, S-M-O-O-T, 87 at gmail.com. Also on April 26, ACB Families will hold its next monthly conference call at 9 p.m. on how to spend less and do more at ACB National Conventions. Call KCB for information about the conference line number. Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will hold its next membership call on April 27 at 7 p.m. on the conference line. Activities for May include the following. On May 1 is the assistive technology training at the BCB office. There will be no GLCB Friday event on May 1 because on May 2, GLCB invites you to our Derby Party. Day-long food and fun, games and friends. 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Come early, come late, or come all day. $5 per person. Please sign up in advance so we have plenty of fried chicken and other food and snacks on hand for our Derby celebration. On May 3... GLCB committees will meet that evening. 7 p.m. is advocacy, 8 p.m. is education and technology, and 9 p.m. is activities, all on the conference line. On May 6, the KCB PR membership committee will meet at 8 p.m. on the conference line. On May 7, ACB Lions holds their next monthly meeting of blind lions from around the country. We share ideas and ways to be involved in our local clubs. The meeting is at 9 p.m. Eastern, and the phone number is 712-432-3900. The code is 796096. On May 8 is assistive technology training in the morning at the BCB office, and GLCB Fridays will resume that evening, 3.30 to 6 p.m. Education and Technology, Dinner at 615, $5 per person, and 7 to 10 p.m. is Games and Crafts at UCHM, of course. On May 9, 
The GLCB board will meet at 11 a.m. on the conference line. On May 11, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold their next community outing. It will be from 12 to 5.30 p.m. and will be a tour of the American Printing House for the Blind Museum in Louisville. Transportation provided for up to 12 on a first-come, first-served basis. Make a reservation by May 1 by calling the BCB office. On May 12, the Bluegrass Council Board will meet from 9 to 10.30 a.m. at the BCB office. Also on May 12, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will hold its next meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. You make friends, share ideas and information, and much more when you meet with SAVVY in Owensboro. It's at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue. Call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170 for more information. On May 14, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will meet by conference call at 7 p.m. Their number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155-619. Other highlights coming up in May include more GLCB Fridays each Friday through the end of May through May 29. On May 17, the KSB alumni will meet at 8 p.m. on the conference line May 18, the KCB board will meet on the conference line at 8. And on May 22, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will host their Guide Dog Eye Exams from 3 to 5 p.m. Get your Guide Dog's eyes examined and plan to stay for the GLCB Friday activities too. Be sure to register for your Guide Dog Eye Exams between April 1 and April 30 by visiting www.acvo, that's V as in Victor, acvo.org, and then plan to be at the GDUKY exams May 22 from 3 to 5 p.m. On May 23 is telling the story 10 artifacts, 10.30 to 12.30 p.m. at the APH Museum. Learn what 10 items from their collection tell some great stories. Free, registration required, best for adults and older children. Call the museum at 502-899-2213 for more information. On May 27 is the 8th grade graduation and middle and high school award ceremony at the Kentucky School for the Blind. And the KSB graduation is that evening from 6.30 to 8 p.m. also at KSB. Call the school for more details at 502-897-1583. May 30, the Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind will hold its picnic from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Perry County Park in Hazard. Contact Joey Couch at 606-216-8033. Or Frank Campbell at 606-693-9360 for more information. Plan to attend the KSB 70th Alumni Reunion on June 5 and 6 at the Ramada Inn Zorn Avenue in Louisville. More details are coming soon. 
And be sure to plan to be with us in Dallas for the 54th ACB Conference and Convention, July 3 to 11. There will be exhibits, workshops, tours, programs, friends, and lots of fun. It's at the Sheridan Dallas, 400 North Olive Street, Dallas, Texas. Get more information by visiting the ACB website at www.acb.org. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at com. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.